Hello, I'm Liberty Erickson, and this is a Maiwa podcast. In this episode, we present part one of the lecture Field Notes in the Color Garden. This lecture was recorded live Tuesday, September 22nd, 2015, as part of the Maiwa School of Textiles lecture series held in Vancouver, Canada. This podcast consists of excerpts from the lecture and was first posted in 2018. This lecture is introduced by Tim McLaughlin and features Michelle Garcia, a world-renowned botanist, chemist, and natural dyer. His deep understanding of the history and culture of natural dyes have led him to be a regular speaker, not only here at the Maiwa School of Textiles, but across the globe. In this two-part lecture, we join Michelle in exploring some of the challenges in the revival of natural dyes and how we can connect the technology to people and culture on a more human scale. His passion to openly share his knowledge with the world ensure that these traditions will not be lost on future generations, for he believes anything that is not shared is lost. I'd like to introduce a chemist by talking about physics. In particular, I'd like to talk about how we talk about those things we cannot directly apprehend. This may get hairy, so stick with me. Last night in Beverly Gordon's lecture, string theory was mentioned. In particle physics, string theory is a theoretical framework which gains some explanatory power by considering one-dimensional objects as strings. And this is interesting because we have no apprehension of subatomic particles whatsoever. We discover them by experiment and we model them mathematically. But we can only understand them, form concepts about what they are like in terms of human experience, in terms of what we've seen, felt, heard, smelt, and tasted, and the inferences that we have made from these experiences. In physics, the difficulty of conceptualizing what was happening with really, really tiny objects came to a head with the great physicist Niels Bohr, who, together with the mathematician Werner Heisenberg, put together a set of principles that has come to be known as the Copenhagen interpretation of quantum mechanics. And I love that term, because I can just see a Danish cafe with all these physicists at those tiny, tiny tables drinking little, tiny, really strong cups of coffee, talking about what's real in terms of (laughs) subatomic particles. And the essence of the Copenhagen interpretation is what I just mentioned in relation to string theory. We can only understand particle physics in terms of human experience, or to put it another way, our ability to explain natural phenomena is constrained by our ability to form concepts. The wave-particle duality of light is perhaps the most well-known example of this. With macroscopic objects, we know what a baseball is as an object, we know what a wave is in a pond, and the two concepts are actually mutually exclusive. An object cannot be both a wave and a particle. But a photon, which is a subatomic particle, which is what light is, can behave as both. And this is confusing. And because subatomic particles do not behave like macroscopic objects, physicists, not generally a whimsical lot, can get quite poetic when naming 
and describing subatomic particles. For example, there are six flavors of quarks. Up, down, top, bottom, and my two favorite, strange and charm. <laughs> Let's move on to chemistry. Our ability to explain natural phenomena is constrained by our ability to form concepts. This may be a familiar sensation to those of you with an interest in dye chemistry. How is it that sometimes a small change in your dye procedure can have such dramatic results? How is it that dyeing sometimes fails completely? What is happening in there? We cannot see the molecules coming together or moving apart. We do not have a clear idea of what an ion is, how big or small it is, what shape it is, if it is heavy or light, brittle or soft. Our ability to explain natural phenomena is constrained by our ability to form concepts. We wish to understand the natural phenomena of the dye pot. And luckily for us, there is someone who's gifted in forming the concepts that increase our understanding. <laughs> Michelle is not just a chemist, that is, someone who's fluent in the language of chemical diagrams and who understands the laws that govern chemical reactions. Rather, he has a gift for metaphor and image, for analogy and comparison. Wittgenstein once famously said, the limits of my language are the limits of my world. Michael gives us the language to talk about and understand color and its botanical source. He has the deep sensitivity to the culture of natural dyes, and he believes in the free sharing of information. It is my great pleasure to welcome him to the Mewa Textile Symposium. Thank you. Thank you very much. Good evening. I'm very happy to be invited here for the fourth time. I remember the first time in 2009, I did present the Diplon Garden, which was my main project, and I recognize a few persons from that period. <laughs> very happy to meet you again here. I just presented uh, my life's projects, which was to create a big space for people to meet together, to exchange about this knowledge, almost lost knowledge. The big lesson of that period was that I was planning big garden with all kinds of plants and all kinds of explanations about cultures and how to do. And in fact, the visitors did definite the project by their questions. There were some questions that we didn't anticipate. And among all these questions, the, the big question was, how does plant to do colors, and why do they do colors? So in 2011, my mind was changed, and I did present some aspects of biology. And the biomimetism, as you know, is being inspired from nature to, to find new ways of working. And at that period, I was compiling many things from the traditions as much as I could, but the evidence was that we have to innovate because we have the cell phones, we have the big cars and planes, we have the computers, and most of the people using natural dyes at the time were doing it with a very archaic methods with no innovation at all, as if it was definitely from the past. 
so a kind of reactionary attitude, which was very noxious for the field, because we did innovate in any field. The modernism is everywhere, except it was everywhere except on that. And being inspired of the lives, plants life, that was the time of discovery of plenty of mechanism, very interesting mechanism, why plant do colors. Then I was invited again in 2013. At the time I was traveling in Indonesia and I was really impressed by some fellows project there from Bibali Foundation. And they were promoting very uh, interesting uh, plants, the Simplocos. And this project was uh, strongly linked to, to the ecological preoccupations. In one word, it was, okay, look at this tree, that's a very rare tree, and look at these people living in Flores, in the island of Flores. They are just living from their forest, but they cut the forest because they need to cultivate something to get some cash, because uh, they need a little bit of cash to buy anything uh, they want, they need, everything they need. So if you, if you allow them to harvest the dead leaves, fallen leaves of the rare trees, at the right value, then you will support them, and instead of cutting their trees, they will just keep the trees in place and live from their forest. So the goal was that this uh, living forest should give them enough to survive, compared to the coffee that they usually grow when they cut the forest. So we were responsible of this idea. If you buy the Simplocos, they will not cut the forest, that's a biomodern, that's a very ecological thing. Instead of using minerals, you just use 100% biodegradable plants to fix the colors at the best. If you are just tired of that because there's a new tendency, you want to change for new things, just discovering always new things, then you forget them and then they will cut the trees. And you will not complain that they cut the trees because they have no choice, but you have the choice of being interested on. So that was that period. And today I will present you some spots, some impressions. Uh, what's the tendency I can meet when traveling and giving classes in some parts of the world? What are people looking after? Because the time is changing very quickly and the interest for natural dyes is really changing. What's new in the field of natural dyes, I would say what's ever new, exactly the same, the fascination for indigo, indigo and indigo and more and more indigo, and interest for carpets, tapestries and weavings, such a big interest in the field, then dyeing yarns to do that at the best, and improving the quality more and more, and a big demand in each class to do it as simple as possible. As you know, that's uh, a terrible goal because people ask you simple, and when they get it simple, they generalize. And then at the moment, they lose the benefit because they get a very simple recipe for that successful thing, but they generalize for everything they have in mind, and then they lose the benefit. So that's very difficult to make it simple, because at some moment you say, okay, it's very simple to feed this cow, it's very simple to feed this cat, 
but don't give the cat's food to the cow. Uh, so remember that they are different. And that's the biodiversity. That seems to be simple, but in fact, lots forget. So they ask you more and more simple things, but then they also ask you the, the plain truth about the history and traditions. That's very new. People ask me, especially in France, because we have hundreds of books about natural diets, the old ones from the 18th and 19th century. We have masses of books, technical books from manufacturers at the time. That's a, an enormous cultural heritage, but nobody's reading that. But they ask me about this thing or that thing. My tales, my histories, because they love histories and tales. And at the time, they discovered that there are plenty of fairies, but they are not real history. So the fairy about the wood, that people pressing the bowls and composting, and, all, and suddenly they discovered that it's, it was not exactly like that. So they just asked me to dig and dig, and that's a great pleasure to come back to the books, and then I will have a word about that. And the last thing is a, such an important point, to scaling, to scale up. At which scale can we do the natural dyes? How can we do the natural dyes? Are these craftsmen earnest? Are there only little people, little persons? And the great person are the ones making the factories. So that's coming back. In many countries I, I, I visited, like Morocco. So I will have a word about that. Well, look at these colors from the animals. These are optical colors. These, like, these are like a prism. prism. They are structures of the feathers to give you back the color. This is physics, like the prism. And of course, if you need to appropriate these colors, if you, need, if you want to get some of these colors, you will act as if you boil some prisms to, to get a rainbow extract. It will not be possible to do that, because that's physics. But about the plants, it's totally different. The plants are really the great chemists of the universe. As this tree, for example, the big one, is just swallowing this metallic plot that somebody did put metallic thing on the tree and very, very slowly this tree is swallowing that one. But the rhythm is very, very slow. So passing every day, you don't see the difference. And some days, I remember I was passing uh, close to one of these trees and the metallic thing totally disappeared, totally swallowed by the tree. Uh, so I would call that an example of the slow life. You heard of slow food, you heard of, of uh, slow fiber, I image of things very well done, very carefully done. And then the plants give the idea of slow life. We are speeding, always speeding, but then we are in front of the slow life of plants living centuries, these guys are living centuries if we let them quiet, but that's a very good, interesting example to discover this world. So we'll start with the indigo. Plenty of good news from the world of indigo. So <laughs> what I did notice is that 
visiting different pe persons, including my fellows in this class I'm giving today, I was giving today, they not only want to die with indigo, they want to make their own from the plants of the garden or from cultivation. And more and more people are asking me to fix a kind of little manufacture in their garage or in their greenhouse to make their own indigo. So for this first chapter, welcome aboard the indigo boat. So last time I came in 2013, I did fix some little manufacture in my village for the association I created, uh, Couleur Garance, the Diplon Garden. And the president at the time got the idea of producing to support the project and also to uh, renovate the, the, well, the communication about this project, uh, making ecological indigo. So I had to fix that with the very cheap things. These are containers to allow the cows to drink, cows and horses. So these plastic containers are, is uh, half a cubic meter. Uh, they are very cheap. And also the vertical one. So with a very small budget, a couple of pumps, we did this little factory. So <laughs> very small budget. And from the plant, we got quite a few kilograms of indigo. And they were so fascinated that now they quitted the association and they created their own one just to develop more and more the project. And that's the, the well, the image of fascination for this thing. So it's totally different than the just having is the little vat at home because now they are producing for the others. They are doing that at human scale, I would say, because that thematic of, of human scale will come back uh, with some other pictures. This is in Belgium, and we might think that in Belgium it's a bit cold, but in fact the results with the, the indigo plant were extraordinarily good. This field is 2,000 square meters, and this young lady driving the tractor uh, started with these 2,000 meters, and she got a very high quality with these cans of uh, one cubic meter, the, the, well, some plastic cans, or second-hand plastic cans. And that's another example of people just developing their little thing. Of course, they have very little for sale because at the moment they produce, they just produce for people around. For example, the first cut she did for these 2,000 meters, she was doing very well very carefully, and she got 21 kilo of a very high quality of indigo. By doing that, like a garden, you know, so well done. That was quite extraordinary, but 21 kilo in the market is nothing. But she was very busy doing quite a, a time. So that's really interesting. We'll also evocate this young lady, the one in blue, she is the daughter of a good fellow of mine who died, Jean-François Mortier, the one who is at the top. He did ask me a few years ago to fix a little manufacture to work on wood. And this is in Amiens, in the north of France, and the wood was very fam famous since Middle Age. There's a big, big cathedral there, 
And from the stained glass and from some sculptures, we learn that the producers of wood at the 13th century, they were quite wealthy, so they paid for the cathedral. They granted the cathedral quite enough, which is maybe the price of a Boeing today or big Boeing or something like that, which is not little. They started again with this wood with a very, very high quality, but that's the same. They just had 14 kilos and they are starting again. Well, it's not millions or billions of tons, but they are quite good fields. And then the list is quite long. I will not evocate, ev evocate everybody, but I would like to present another one. This, the, it, this is different because this is in Guadeloupe, so it's supposed to be a French department, but under tropical conditions. And in this little island of um, Marie-Galante, there are 85 ruins of old factories, indigo factories. 85. The island is very little. It means that they were working very hard around the indigo. And then visiting some of these, we were very lucky with my fellow Henry, the owner of the company, Fitobocas Company. We were visiting in the field. This is Indigo Ferra Tinctoria. You can see that from the pods, the fruits of the plant. Very easy to recognize from the pods always for the, the Indigo Ferra. And all around the factories, there were kind of wild fields of Indigo Ferra. Very clean, extremely clean, only Indigo Ferra Tinctoria. And everybody was howling at the miracle. Whoa, the only day we are interested on, we come in place and then a full field of indigo ferra tinctoria is waiting for us. Then we met this co, not very friendly, <laughs> looking at us. And you will see the same co there. Have, can you see the co? <laughs> she is guarding the babies, because they are living in a place that quite wild beast, you know, they, that's a tropical area, they, there's no risk, no predator, so they are, f they are free to pass the night and day outside, and she's guarding the babies. She's not very happy because we are in her field, and she gave the explanation. They gave very good excrement for the plants, these plants need nitrogen, lots of nitrogen, because indigo is based on nitrogen. And indigo is a poison for the cows, because that's an alkaloid. And then they eat everything except indigo. So they clean the field very well. And at the moment we passed by the way, we had a very clean, enormous field of indigo in place. That was quite funny. So we did harvest some, and I did teach to this young man here how to do that. And the same day, he, he was presenting that to the local politics, the mayors of the communes. Uh, that's a very, very little island, you know. Everybody was there. <laughs> it was really <laughs> little. Only four villages, and the mayors of the four villages came to see. And that was quite good. We got indigo from good quality, and they are starting to redo some, and with this enterprise, uh, Fitobocas, they are working on the highest quality as possible. So it's 
almost impossible to sell because they have such a huge work to re refine that. But the quality is extremely interesting. Then they invite me to use the dye stuff, of course, and to prepare some dyes. This is a high school of young ladies learning fashion and making cloth. And um, there were <laughs> 28 young ladies and the teachers so enthusiastic. And they did prepare lots of cloth, but they pre-cutted the pieces and then they intended to do the cloth after the dye, of course. And then they asked me to fix a, a recipe of indigo vat. So we were going to the forest with the fellow, the pharmacian, uh, Henry, looking after some rare plant, which is the justicia. It's like uh, in Mexico, there's, there are kinds of justicia that pre-Columbian people did use to reduce the indigo as a um, reducing agent. This is Justicia Segunda, and we just took a big bucket of that, and we put that in the pot, boiling the thing, and from the juice, we put the indigo and some lime, and we got tremendous bath. Uh, the big pleasure, that's my big pleasure to just try to adjust at the local conditions, as authentic as it can be. And they were quite happy. That was a demand. We want a pure Caribbean vat as authentic as possible. <laughs> so we were harvesting the things and we had tremendous colors. They did prepare 140 square meters of <laughs> fabric to dye. So that was incredible. There was indigo everywhere. You could put a thread. The teacher was amazed <laughs> of such big enthusiasm. And then the atmosphere was extremely positive because from that they prepared cloth, lots of cloth, and they had a fashion show. And that was the diploma of the end of the work. So these days you feel that you are doing something useful. It's not only traveling to show little things because these islands are really lost and they are looking for some possibilities. They go to school, but they are never sure that they, they will get some work. Because the only issue is maybe to go to Paris and to ask for a job to clean the toilets in a hotel or something like that. You know, it's not very brilliant. That's very difficult for these girls. So they got the idea that they have something to do and with the help of local resources, uh, they, they want to do that. So I love this sentence. So anything that is not shared is, is lost. That's extremely true. If you have some knowledge, and if you do, do not share, you will lose it. I remember of one of my students of today, yesterday and today, she told me that she was visiting India to ask people to show her how to do the indigo vat, and they refused. So she went to Indonesia, and they said, no, it's forbidden to tell it. And she was in other country, <laughs> and eventually she went to Maiwa <laughs> to learn it. <laughs> uh, that, that's very funny, because if you teach it, of course, you increase your knowledge, but you do not lose it, you improve it by looking after the way of communicating. That's not easy to communicate. You know the oxido-reduction? 
We learn that at school when we are 14 or 15, and we forget that very quickly. That's a class of 14 years old, oxidoreduction. And now I have to tell that to the person of 40 or 50 years, and that's terrible, because it's very far, very, very far in the past. It's extremely useful today to understand what we are doing. So I did enjoy very much this atmosphere with plenty of young persons giving you the, the idea of we have to do it simple. The big, big demand is how to do it simple. So today I did present an innovation based on this, on what we did in Caribbean islands, was, okay, can we do our indigo everywhere in the world in each season? If I'm living in Norway in January, can I make my own indigo? If I'm living in the desert or in the any place, of course you can. By working on, on the field, uh, I got the idea of coming back to the dried leaves. It's, it's supposed to be absolutely necessary to use the fresh leaves, but the demand was enorm enormous. People say, we cannot cultivate your plant. We are very busy at the time we cultivate, and then we cannot transform. So we want you to show us something. Then I started to work with the dried leaves, and okay, that's the schedule from this France. So you put that in water, kind of infusion, room temperature. Then you filter, you oxygenate with the blender, and very poor means, and then you get the indigo. So I'm aware of lots of demands. I have also plenty of emails about people. Oh, we would like to do this. How can I do for this, for that? And plenty of teachers sending emails. We are working with our class about middle age, about this or that, and we want to prepare this or prepare that. How can we do with a class only one how and half to get the result and the best result as possible? And okay, how to do it simple? That's a big goal. And I have so plenty of these questions. You will see the paradox after. So this that is now very popular. We called it, that was the idea of Yoshiko Wada when doing the film. The, the very simple vat with proportions every, everybody can remember. The vat one, two, three, we call that. One part of indigo, two parts of lime, and three parts of any reducing agent from plant, sugar, or henna, or other plants. So extremely easy to do. This became very popular. But from that, I got kind of enemies, very jealous, who started to publish bad things. I got, oh, no, I can tell you this is not working. This is not good. But we are doing that at, with the 300 uh, vats that we do, our big cans for lots of uh, young craftsmen. So it's working extremely well. We did prove that with some machine for catching the redox and everything. But then some were furious because I was breaking the famous secret. The secret they didn't know before. But there are people against innovation in the field. Because if you are ignorant, it's much better than if you know something. If you are ignorant, you will accept anything. If you are not, it will be much difficult to prove you that some are very knowledgeable. Actually, there are some official trainings. This is in the central part of France. That will be the transi transition with the second thematic, the one of the yarns, 
plenty of demands around the yards. And this is a non-profit group, Lenamac, working in the field of wool. And they asked me to participate to some training for cattle breeders. Then there were lots of persons coming. All of them, they were growing goats or sheep. Some of them, they had rabbits. The project was that they want to transform by themselves. They have grounds. They have, some of them, they have enough energy and time to build some studio for transforming. And the new tendency was that they want to internalize everything. So not only having the beast, but also pre uh, having the yarns, the colors and yarns. Uh, that's quite new and interesting because that's a lost country in the central, central part of France, but that's a very famous historical place. So now that's a second thematic. And then I will evocate three different uh, travels from uh, 2015. I was in uh, Felta. Felta is this high school. This is a high school for all jobs about building, handyman, uh, knowledge, practical knowledge. Uh, this is in Spain, a monastery, and they did convert the monastery onto a weaver's studio. And the other one is in Morocco, in the area of the mosque of Casablanca, the great mosque. That's a cultural central for supporting craftsmen. That's very interesting because this thematic of blankets and carpets and tapestries is extremely precious. Uh, visiting Vancouver Island and visiting some museums around, I was really inspired by the very good thematic which is developed around the Earth Blanket. That's a book uh, from Nancy Turner, a very good ethnologist. I do personally appreciate very much the work. And that's extremely interesting to think about all the symbols around the blankets. Uh, nature, the vegetation for the, the native people, the vegetation was called the earth blanket. And if you want the earth to be safe, don't cut the blanket. Don't cut an excess of the blanket. I remember yesterday about Gardens of Paradise, about Iranian carpets. This, uh, this is a very strong symbol also, I love very much. And also the other one in Morocco is these carpets on the floor with lots of symbols. They are kind of cultural heirs. That's the heirs of the culture, the family and the group. That's not a wild, that's a cultivated one. That's very interesting with all these symbols. And about the tapestries, there are plenty of thematics around thousand flowers, millflower, or greens, the greens. That were, were the names of the styles in the old time. And that's very interesting. So actually, I would say that this is summarizing one song ID we meet in many places that Ecology and craft activities are very strongly linked. And that's very interesting to see that because that's of the secret garden, that's of taking care of earth as if it was a garden. And all these symbols are very interesting for me. Always fascinated by this question, how did people 
discovered technologies. And I think, personally, that there were transfers of technology since a very long time. These paintings are 36,000 years old. They are French caves. 36,000. That's not little. And I love that because if you go there with the candle, that's a reconstitution. These guys are moving because of the flame of the candle. And that's very interesting. They are stromboscopic effect. And then they are just living. If you go with the electric, electric lamp, it doesn't work. But with ordinary flame of a, an oil lamp, for example, they are just moving around you. That's extremely interesting. And uh, studying the chemistry of dyes, I was fascinated since very long time by this idea that there are three main ways of tanning. It could be found in the native traditions, native traditions, but also in the old continent. And you can tan with the tannins, you can tan with oily preparation, fat preparation for gloves, for example, and, f and furs. And you can tan with the alum and some aluminum components, such as also plants accumulating aluminum in their leaves. Uh, from these three things are originated the three methods for fixing the colors on the textile. That's very interesting. That's a little bit technique, but then the dyes were discovered before the textile technology. Following the idea of transforming, uh, that's not little to use a dead beast. Okay, this beast is dead. It will be soon rotten unless I have a special medicine to avoid the injury of the death because then the leather will last very long. It will never rot. So you stop the time and you get kind of immortality for the thing, you know. You are changing the course of the history and you are struggling against the worst inju injury, which is the death. So that's a, a very strong symbol in the heart of the, the origin of uh, technologies of dyes, textile and dyes. And I was writing that before I came, but I've seen the lovely book of India Flint, The Second Skin. Uh, this uh, sentence is very interesting for me because, of course, the textile is an artificial creation. It's a cultural creation. And the dye is a special treatment to give the quality of the immortality, something like that. So for me, it's that's the most important symbol that we can meet in many demands of people. That's very strange because people, they go to this fascination of dyes because they feel something transforming the matter will change something of their life. That, that's surprising. They change their way of life to be focused on, the, on their studio. So in Aubusson, I was asked to work on the... So this is La Creuse, the little department in the central part of France, uh, really at the heart of the country, a very lost region. And then in this region, they made tapestries in the past because the water is very, very pure. And there were plenty of tapestries from the local animals, from the wool, from local animals and local colors and everything. And then it's starting to be 
the heart of sustainable project about wool. That's very interesting. It was not the case a few years ago, but it's developing. Uh, there are plenty of these little castles full of tapestries that you can visit, some of them from 16th century, still interesting. Oh yes, there are big pigs in the country, they call it uh, <laughs> the black ass variety. Uh, they are enormous beasts, <laughs> interesting to, to meet them just lying quietly. And it's kind of historical travel in the past. And then these uh, growers, animal breeders, cattle breeders were extremely enthusiastic and each one wanted to develop something. So that's extremely new that they want to do that. Among all the works, there was the um, rediscovery of these beautiful little sheep called the black sheep uh, of, well, what's the name exactly? I forgot, sorry. Black sheep of Central, Massive Central or something like that. We dyed the brown wool to get a pure black because this brown is giving, uh, well if you over dye this in indigo, you will have a pure, interesting black. And we did submit that to the Xenotest, the Sun Test, in a special laboratory. They are, they are testing the quality of your dyes to the light. It was absolutely excellent. And you know that actually there are people using ferrous salt to do black on wool. That's very damageable. That's very bad for the wool. And we know some restorators of tapestries. The holes are placed exactly at the places they put the black, because the black was from the iron and tannin. That's very bad for the wool. The only big holes on the tapestries are the black places, even in Morocco. And then that was a good alternative for them, because black is very popular. Most popular is the blue, then comes black, then red, and the other colors, well, look at yourself. You are black, you are blue, a little bit red, and that's it. So all over the world is about the same. So this tracing, so it was very important to work on that project about the black. So I did suggest it not to start with the white, to go to the black, the way is too long. But then they are growing these animals again, and they are developing some interesting projects. This is moving in the very last part, and I hope that after some years, we will hear about these guys. Very interesting. So the second travel was in Morocco, at the Academy of Traditional Arts. I was really surprised of the high quality of this school, because they are, well, that's a kind of university the same level, a very high school, high level, and the young person working in here, studying here, they will be supervisors for cooperative or projects about high quality of craftsmen. And then we had a little problem because the, the school is in charge to establish a textile certification. And so they are working very hard also on the social aspect of the problem, so social protection for the women who are working all the day in the, in the field. But some of the teachers, they tell you that industrial things are modern and craftsmen are archaic. 
So the plants are archaic things from the past, and the industry is for the future. So they did refuse my class. One of them did refuse. But the big boss say, oh, do your thing. Don't take care of this one. But the guy was furious because say, we are involved in industrial level. That's the very earnest thing, the industrial level. And the craftsmen are doing little things because the great things are from industry. Uh, okay, the things were, the chemical he got were coming from Sandoz, Switzerland. I'm not against Sandoz at all, of course. They are doing their job. But in this poor country, there are plenty of people looking after something to grow in the fields. Could be also dye plants, of course, as it was in the past. And actually, this poor country is giving all the money from the carpet for the carpets. The added value goes to Switzerland to buy expensive chemicals for the colors instead of giving the money in the country to the countrymen. And I tried to explain that, and the, the big boss of the school were, was really happy, but the teachers, they told me, no, 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 we are modern person, we want industrial things. We want to put all the money in Switzerland <laughs> to get the colors in, instead of that, and they didn't understand really, but then that was a very, very big activity around the, the class. So that was good. Okay, this eco-friendly la label is very interesting. And then there's, uh, there are some documents of national strategy of the label. Uh, they started very interesting. And then, because I was invited, I did evocate one part of my personal history and one big interest I had for this book, which was published in 1927, at the time where French people were um, leading the country, they started with a certification. And they said, if uh, they say to the um, people living in the mountain, doing the carpet, they say, if you do that earnestly with the authentic thing, that was the time of the aniline. The aniline colors were not lasting at all. At the moment, imagine you start your carpet and you go on, and going on to do the carpet, the beginning is already whitish, and you didn't even finish your thing, that it was ruined. So they said, we will give more added value, value with kind of certification. That was kind of disc made of lead with metallic yarn, and then you press the disc, and then if you cut that, you lose the value, that's something you cannot falsificate easily. And that was a very interesting work, because they asked to Prosper Ricard, this man, to keep all kinds of, of information he could get. And he traveled during years and years in the mountains. At the time, there were no roads. There were really high mountains, difficult to go to design all the, all the symbols, all the patterns, and to collect all kinds of information about the dyes. But what is really interesting is that they are not the recipes that you know. They are other styles. That's very interesting. So most of them, they are related to indigo fur and isatis again for the blue, every, like everywhere in the world about and rubia for some red, 
But there was a lost plant that everybody did forget. They say it's a wild mother, but it's not the classical one. It's not this one, the Rubia peregrina. It's another one, almost lost actually. There are only four sites in North Africa from all over the world. It's a gallium, it's a special gallium. And actually nobody take care of that, but this gallium was giving an impressive red kind of substantive dye without any alum, without any uh, metallic additive, uh, very interesting. It's almost disappeared. I even tried to find a picture of the plant, but unless you go in place, you will not get a picture. It's a small thing that people, nobody take care of that. I just did find an herbarium for the picture. So that's very interesting to see that if you save the knowledge, you, you will save also the natural resource. And if you support the cultural activity, you will also save then and support the cultivation of that. And that, that's very interesting. This country is very amazing because you will meet uh, some uh, temperate plants and uses of temperate plants as well as tropical plants. And uh, they, they were growing cochineal in the past, of course, the indigofera and tropical acacia. So there's a big, big diversity because the country is very long. It goes to the Sahara from the Mediterranean area to Sahara. So that was extremely interesting because I was asked to evocate all these plants. And uh, for example, there were interesting recipes using wild wine instead of the classical modern. So this is uh, Vitis vinifera, that's a little grape, wild grape. Of course, they do not make wine with that, and it's a small one, because it's, that's not a country for wine, it's a Muslim country, mostly Muslim. But they were using that as a mordant. Some mushrooms also, gall, special galls of tamaris, and I did find the old text about that, because uh, there are many texts written in French from that period of 1920 uh, around. And then the tamarisk girls were exported for dyes all over the Mediterranean area. That was a very, very precious tannin. So people at the mild season, people were cutting, cutting branches of these tamaris, and they were planting plenty all along the roads, all around the houses to get plenty of girls because that was a resource in the pure desert. It was a very lost, very dry place, but the tamaris is the only thing which can grow. But at the moment the market collapsed, they ceased to plant the trees. It means the only thing that you can plant in the Sahara, they ceased to plant because it didn't give any more money. So they forgot to plant. But if you start again with these organic colors, then you will support th that kind of project to plant something in the desert so it will not be anymore such a hard desert and you will start to put something else after. So I have examples, but just to give the atmosphere of this work. And uh, all these ideas were very welcome. And I asked to the guy, how did you meet me? How do you know me? Because he just phoned me and said, we want you. We are doing this and that. Okay, good. Are you free that, uh, that, at that period? Well, fortunately, yes. 
So come <laughs> for one week. <laughs> Very direct. Okay, okay. And I say, you know me? Say, yes, we have this book, uh, uh, this magazine. I was participating <laughs> in 1999. <laughs> I forgot the thing. I didn't even find my uh, sample. <laughs> I didn't know where was the sample <laughs> at the moment. And I was promoting these natural colors with examples and with demo in this symposium, saying that sometimes there are lost traditions that we must investigate again because the dominant culture is just uh, destroying the cultural heritage, very precious, replacing that by classical things. And then uh, I was evocating these recipes. There are a few here. That's very interesting because I redid some many times and I tried to fix as simple as possible because people told me, well, now, okay, that's good, we want it, but as simple as possible. So that was the origin of this one bath process I'm teaching sometimes. And how do you call it? Oh, yes, the turnip. There were some recipes with the turnip. I was wondering why turnips? And I did buy the turnips, I put the turnips in my indigo, in my mother pot. And it the color was much more attractive. And I did that in the lab, you know, with turnip or without turnip. And in fact, investigating their enzymes, very interesting enzymes called peroxidases. So, well, they are helping very much. So we have to collect quite a few things. But it was smelling turnip in all over the studio and the house around, but okay, that was the, prob the problem. Studying these traditions, you can find uh, interesting ecological alternatives, and then you know this proverb, all roads leads to Roma. It's not a Muslim proverb. <laughs> it was at the time then uh, you were nearly obliged to buy the alum from Roma because these big mines of La Tolfa from the popes, that was a tax. From this money of the alarm, they were paying the crusade. So everybody had to wear something made with this alarm from Roma to pay the crusade. And you cannot imagine how many dyers today still pay the crusade, <laughs> but they don't know why. So that's very interesting because they just forgot why they pay the thing, and they forgot the alternative. Oh, that was oh, from my young fellows, the demo of, of the method, or oh, this is pomegranate, rained here, and uh, this is the mother, and the lemon juice for acidity, because we do not have the exactly the right grape they use, the Lombrusco grape, and the reds are gorgeous, and the fastness to light is very satisfying. So that was the one batch process. So inspired from harvesting many different recipes and sometimes just half a sentence, a little word evocating this or that, we can try to improve that or to verify and work on that. And there's so much to do. Uh, so that's what people ask me, always doing simple. That was in Spain, the third thing. So incredible, but in Europe, there are some people who still live from weaving. 
and they are doing impressive weavings of very high quality in the central part of Spain, really uh, in the north of Madrid, really the central part again. And there are nine weavers working for this small company for the very high quality. And they asked me to fix at the best all kind of shards of colors because they are starting again. They, are, they have new clients, designers and different architects who ask for the natural dyes. That's new and very interesting, but Spain is moving very much and they are kind of a good, interesting tendency. So the craftsmen are coming to natural dyes, and that was a very good moment also. Because Spain is a great country, very interesting. Maybe you know some person here, know Ana Roquero, this lady who is a, uh, we'll call her a living treasure. She was the first person publishing in modern times, publishing in Spain. And she's very famous for Tintes in Tintoreos de America, the dyes and dyers of America. And that's very interesting. She did show us an impressive work of samples she did on, on feathers, on all kinds of materials, rabbit, uh, wool and silk and everything. And she gave us a very sad tale. She was working in um, Tenerife, in Canarian Islands, and she discovered a very interesting manuscript in a library, old library, and she started to write a book about a very interesting treasure she discovered. Nobody knew before this manuscript. It was exactly how they did proceed to do the silk, all dyes and silk locally, because they were growing the silkworms at some period. And she started all the work, and... Uh, she intended to publish the book and made plenty of samples to illustrate the book and came back again to the, to the library to ask the people for well, the contract for publication. And somebody did steal the book. Uh, it disappeared and it's probably in some private collection somewhere. So she was working for years for very little. And she's getting very old and there are so plenty of jealousy around her. That reminds me of something we are living in France also. And then, well, we are wondering all these living treasures. We do not take care enough. You have been listening to part one of the lecture Field Notes in the Color Garden, delivered by Michelle Garcia as part of the Maiwa School of Textiles lecture series held in Vancouver, Canada. This lecture was recorded live Tuesday, September 22nd, 2015. Maiwa Podcast can be found on the Maiwa School of Textile website at schooloftextiles.com. That's schooloftextiles, all one word, dot com. For more information about Maiwa and all that we do, please visit our website at maiwa.com. That's M-A-I-W-A dot com. I'm Liberty Erickson, and thank you for listening.